Bible, you can open it to Matthew chapter 13. Uh, that's where we're going to be today. Uh, and as a reminder, we are uh, working our way through a couple of um, parables of Jesus. Uh, our Acts series got kind of thrown off because of basically because I was sick for a while and so uh, didn't want to rush that and kind of not take our time getting through that important stuff in Acts. And so uh, if you remember, we said we are going to finish that up next summer, 2023. Uh, but for today and for next week, we're going to be looking at a couple parables of Jesus. Uh, today, we're going to be looking at the parable of the wheat and the tares, uh, or the wheat and the weeds. Um, and so that is what we're going to be uh, looking at. And um, uh, one of the things I want you to remember as we dig into a couple of these parables uh, is the reality that we tend to forget about. Uh, and that's this. As we look at these parables, just remember, keep in mind, Jesus is, he's our savior. Uh, he, he is, um, he lived a perfect life. He sacrificed himself. He was risen victoriously in his resurrection. And all of that is true and central to our Christian faith. So don't hear me diminishing that. Uh, but don't forget that Jesus was a brilliant teacher, the, the most brilliant teacher who's ever taught. Uh, and his parables are a great example of that. Uh, we forget that sometimes, but um, what's interesting about his teaching is that it's interesting. Uh, if you read the parables, they're pretty hard to get bored with. Uh, he's very, very good at his teaching. And, and uh, the teachings of Jesus are done in majority as stories, uh, as parables. That's what parables are. They're stories, they're images, they're illustrations, uh, the word parable itself comes from the Greek word parabola, uh, which means to compare two things. So especially today, especially in the book of Matthew, uh, this is why when Jesus teaches on the kingdom of heaven, like he's doing here in today's parable, and again, like uh, kind of what Matthew is really uh, kind of one of the themes in Matthew is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus will start with the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he'll tell a story or a parable. Uh, and so his parables, what they're doing is they're taking a transcendent sort of cosmic reality, the kingdom of heaven. What is that? And, and Jesus takes that and compares it to something concrete, compares it to something that we can get, right? Uh, parables are, are metaphors. They take something really pretty abstract and transcendent and hard for our, our, uh, to wrap our minds around, and they make it specific and concrete so that we can grab onto it with our hearts and our minds. I worked at a church in Orlando, and one of the other staff members there would always say, we want to give people handles so that they can grab onto the message. And that's what Jesus does really well with the parables. He gives us handles to grab on. So today we're going to be looking at, again at the parable of the wheat and the weeds. Uh, again, or if you like the old-timey title, the wheat and the tares, I'm fond of that one because I think tares is a word that we don't get to use very often, and it's cool. Uh, but the parable is found in Matthew 13, so if you're there, we're actually going to read two sections. Hannah's going to come up and read those two sections for us. Uh, there's a bunch of parables in this section that are all related, but today we're going to focus on this particular one. And so we're going to read Matthew 13, 24 to 30, and then we're going to jump to verses 36 to 46. 24 to 30 is the parable itself, and then 36 to 46 is going to be the explanation of the parable from Jesus to the disciples. Uh, so Hannah, why don't you come up and you can read those two sections for us and then we'll kind of dig into the text. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who, show, who sowed good seed in his field. 
But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go down and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out his kingdom, out of his kingdom, all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he had, all that he has, and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So as we said, we're going to focus on the parable of the wheat and the weeds. And what's interesting is that um, of all the parables that Jesus sort of tells in this section, uh, what we see is that the disciples come and ask him specifically about that parable. What's the meaning of the, the wheat and the weeds? Uh, and so what I want to sort of do is just point out the bullet point sort of main aspects of this parable. First thing we see is that we have a farmer, a good farmer, who is sowing good seed, right? The workers even say to him, hey, wait a minute, where did these weeds come from? Aren't you sowing good seeds? And the implication is, aren't you giving us, farm workers, good seeds to sow? Uh, and so he's sowing wheat. And so we see that the wheat in the story begins to grow. Uh, so you, you notice in the parable that time passes in this parable, right? We go from the sowing of the seed to the harvest. Uh, and even if you know just basic like gardening or you grow herbs to cook with, you know that it doesn't go plant the seed and then immediately harvest the plant. There's time that passes. Secondly, we see in this parable that there is an enemy, right? There's an enemy who comes, uh, and, and Jesus in his explanation tells us who the enemy is. It's the devil, right? So 
the reality is we have an enemy who is real, and it's Satan, and he's against us and against our Lord. Uh, and so the enemy comes in the parable and sows a bad crop. Now, here's what's interesting uh, that I didn't know really about this until I studied a little bit more, uh, is that the weed that Jesus is referring to, this would have been known by the people who would have heard him, right? Uh, it's called Zizania. And this is kind of the, the bane of farmers, of, of wheat farmers in particular in this day and age and in this region. Uh, so much so that they called this plant false wheat. And so this Zizania, as it grows with the wheat, it is virtually indistinguishable for me. If you want to Google it, go Google image search Zizania, and you'll see all kinds of pictures of this weed growing right next to wheat, and you can't tell the difference. Uh, so the wheat will produce wheat heads, which at harvest, you can see the, the wheat heads will eventually droop over because they're full of wheat, and the Zizania will produce a dark purple seed, uh, which interestingly enough is actually poisonous, and so this is why the farmer wants to make sure that he gets it out of the harvest. Uh, because you can imagine if you give people poisonous wheat, they're not going to buy from you next year, right? Uh, and your neighbors might die. So um, it, it doesn't, it, it, they want to make sure it doesn't get mixed in with the good wheat. And so we see that there is the farmer's work and that this enemy's work is growing alongside one another. And this is an important part of this parable, that the two are growing together alongside one another over this time period between seed being planted and harvest happening. And then thirdly, we see that this farmer, he's not easily rattled by the work of the enemy. Look at verses 28 to 30 again. So the servants said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? Do you want us to go rip the weeds out? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but then gather the wheat into my barn. Now, this is interesting in the context of if you scroll up or flip to the left in your Bible, you'll see that Jesus tells another parable about seeds uh, right before this one. And it's interesting because that context talks about wheat or talks about weeds choking things out. And that's what happens here with the Zizania. If you go and you try to pull up the weeds that are planted right in with the wheat, the, the root systems become entangled and you'll rip out one with the other before it's time for harvest. So the farm workers discover, oh, this wasn't, this wasn't incompetence by our boss, the farmer. No, this is an enemy. And the farm workers come to the farmer. What do you want us to do? Should we go and try to immediately solve the problem? Right? It sounds like what I would do. And the farmer basically says, be patient. Things are confusing Things are really hard to see clearly right now. And as we'll see later in Jesus' explanation, you farm workers, and we'll get to this, you're not qualified to make this decision. That's a really important part of this parable. So right now, patience. Be patient. But don't worry. Eventually, things will become clear. There will be judgment. The weeds and the wheat will be separated. The weeds burned with fire, and the wheat will be brought in, and everything will be right. But right now... Be patient, be patient, be vigilant. So to sum up, there's a farmer, he sows good seeds. There's an enemy who comes and sows bad seeds along with the good seeds. There's a period of time when the two crops grow up alongside each other, but eventually there is coming a time of judgment. The two will be separated, the weeds burned, the wheat brought into the farmhouse, into the farmer. Now, if you're sitting here thinking, yeah, but what does this mean, 
right? You're in good company because the disciples of Jesus asked him the same question. Listen again, starting in verse 36. He left the crowds and went into the house and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. And he answered, this is pretty concrete stuff. The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. If you're not familiar, that's Jesus. That's a title for Jesus. It's a sort of cosmic um, messianic title. He's the son of man. Uh, the field is the world. The good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The son of man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, this is just a side note. Oh, and then he says, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. And then he says this line that you want to pay attention when Jesus says this, he who has ears, let him hear. This is kind of like Jesus saying, truly, truly, I say to you, and then saying something, but this one's at the end. Jesus says a bunch of stuff and then says, pay attention to this. If you have ears to hear, listen. Now, here's what's interesting. If you want to have a, a, a fun excursion into apocalyptic literature, there's a bunch of stuff from the book of Daniel in what Jesus just explained. We don't have time to get into that today, but fascinating stuff. All this stuff about burning and shining, and that's all apocalyptic language that Jesus is alluding to the Old Testament in. So for the rest of our time today, I wanted, what I want to do is just look at a few realities that are in Jesus' explanation of this parable. The first is that in our current world, and you know this from experience, there are two very real kingdoms that are overlapping. There's two kingdoms that are overlapping. These, are two, kingdom, these, these two kingdoms are two ways of seeing reality. And, and these two kingdoms are currently existing side by side, and you could even say sort of vying with one another, competing with one another. And the second principle is this, in this explanation is that it is so important for you so important that you are able to tell the difference between the two versions of reality, these two kingdoms, and that you know to which kingdom you belong. This is really important. <clears throat> it's so important that you're able to see the real reality and to know that you see the real reality. Now, the reason Jesus needs to explain what this, this kingdom is that he keeps talking about uh, again, especially in the book of Matthew, but all over the, the, the Gospels, uh, Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom. We talk about the kingdom of heaven a lot, right? The reason he needs to explain this is mainly due to the context of the teaching he's doing here in this part of the Bible. So Jesus is teaching all about the kingdom of God in this part of Matthew. And so that would lead you to ask, well, what is this kingdom of God, right? I'm glad you asked. I have notes on it. That's the question I would want to know. That's the question I still want to know. What is the kingdom? And if we had been there for this parable that day, we would have asked the same question. Here's, what, here, here's why that question mattered so much to this particular group of people. Remember that when Jesus was preaching about this, Israel, the, the nation of God's people, is under the oppressive boot of the Roman Empire. So he's preaching to an oppressed people, but it hadn't always been this way for them. Don't forget that. At one time, Israel was a nation state, independent, economically independent, politically independent, culturally independent. Nobody was 
lording it over them. They were uh, self-governing, but now they were a colony of Rome. And, and when you go from being an independent nation to a colony of a foreign oppressing power, there's all kinds of pain and frustration and, and trauma that comes along with that. Their economic capital had been taken from them. It had been removed. They're no longer economically self-sufficient. They, they have almost no political recourse for how they're being treated. Right? There's no Supreme Court to go to in the, in the uh, empire of Rome to complain about the way you're being treated. So, so they have no recourse. There are people being imprisoned. There's poverty. There's an overall lack of political and social and economic freedom for them. This is the state of things as Jesus is talking about this kingdom, this kingdom. So in that setting, people began to pray that one day a great leader would come along overthrow Rome, set them back up as a self-governing, self-sufficient nation like they had been at one time. They were looking for a Messiah, a Savior, the one. That's what that word means, the chosen one. If you grew up, when I grew up, you think you hear the one, the chosen one, and you think of Neo, but it's, it's not Neo, it's Jesus, right? Because the Matrix is a movie. We're talking about the kingdom of heaven here. And that joke really fell flat. Part of what they were praying for... Part of what they were praying for was this Messiah, right? And, and what they were praying is that he would overthrow Rome and reinstate God's rule over their country. And so because of this kind of hope that they had, there, there sprang up over the years a string of people who claimed to be this Messiah, who, who would bring back this kingdom of God, right? And so in fact, if you, go, if you were to go back to Acts chapter 5, uh, where we were a number of weeks ago, there's a speech by Gamaliel in which he names a number of men who rose up, who gathered a following, but in the end failed to be the Messiah. So this is a real thing for them. So now comes Jesus, incredibly brilliant teacher, has an ability to draw a crowd to himself, is doing miracles. And listen, he's not doing miracles like, every other religious leader in the other religions in the world where they do a miracle and it's kind of witnessed by one or two people behind closed doors. No, no. Read the documentation in the Gospels. Jesus is doing miracles dozens of times in front of huge crowds of people. This is not uh, behind closed doors secretive religion. This is out among the people. And so if you read the Bible carefully, you will see that. So here's a teacher who the Bible says teaches with an authority like no one else teaches, right? How many times you read that in the Gospels? People say, wow, he's speaking with an authority we haven't seen before. He's doing these miracles, but now so much of his, he, he's starting so much of his teaching with this, the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like this. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And I'm here to bring it about. That's what he's teaching. And so people are going to pay attention. People are going to get excited. And it's this overexcitement about things that the people assumed that causes Jesus to have to constantly tell, right? He starts talking kingdom and they go, oh, he's the one going to overthrow Rome. Here it comes. It's going to happen. And Jesus then has to constantly tell them, listen, I'm not a king like you expect. This isn't your presupposed idea of a kingdom. I'm not going to be the kind of king you think and I'm not going to bring the kind of kingdom you expect either. They're expecting an immediate political overthrow, right? They're expecting, let's pull the weeds out right now. 
And Jesus comes along and says, it's not like that. He says there's two things about his kingdom that make it something completely different. First, the kingdom of God that Jesus is talking about is bringing way more comprehensive and therefore radical of a change than you ever could imagine. Jesus isn't just talking about political change or social change or cultural change or economic change. He's talking about something way deeper than that. And secondly, the kingdom is not going to show up immediately like you think it is. That's what he's telling them. It's going to show up incrementally and over time. It comes gradually. And this is a contradiction not only to their expectations of the kingdom, but if we're honest, this kind of contradicts what we want too, right? I want to wake up tomorrow in the kingdom of heaven and everything is perfect. But Jesus is telling us that's just not how it's going to work. You're going to have to be patient. So we aren't any better than the people who heard Jesus teach this for the first time. See, Jesus is teaching us in all of his teaching about the kingdom, but particularly here, that our problems go much, much deeper than political, cultural, social, economic, whatever problems. What Jesus is doing in this parable and in his other teachings is to try to get us to see that what is actually broken is reality itself. It's deeper than those things. Down at the roots of what reality is, there is an enemy. There is evil lurking that is destroying, distorting, and perverting everything. So everything that you see in this world is a distorted and perverse version of what it should be. But Jesus says that what he's doing by bringing his kingdom is to bring the power of God to bear on this perversion, thereby pushing out all the evil that way, that's way down deep at the roots of reality. So let me give you just a word picture. If you think of two circles, one represents what we think of as heaven, not some otherworldly disembodied place, but the place where God's presence is the kingdom of God, heaven, and one represents earth. At creation, those two things are overlapping. And, and when sin enters the world, we push heaven out, away from us. God, we don't want your rule. We want to rebel and rule ourselves. That's what Adam and Eve are saying. Our first father, Adam, said that. And what Jesus is saying about the kingdom of heaven is that at the end of the age, I'm going to push heaven back where it belongs on top of this earth, and I'm gonna make all things right, and in so doing, I'm gonna push out all the evil and anyone who's rebelling against me. And how that's gonna work and all that, we can talk about another day, but I just wanna give you that word picture. We're talking about realms of reality here. So Jesus is saying essentially, hey, for just a minute, would you stop thinking about all of this at the surface level of political revolution and maybe imagine a world beyond that, more transcendent than that, more powerful than that, beyond just political freedom, but a world where there actually isn't sorrow or pain or hatred, a world where there isn't poverty or sickness or injustice of any kind, no loneliness, no mental illness, no racism, no family strife. We could go on and on and on, right? Name the thing, and Jesus says, hey, just for a minute, stop thinking of a world where you're going to change this little system at the top and start thinking about a world where the things that make that system necessary to hold back evil don't exist. Jesus is saying, imagine a world where any kind of brokenness that you can imagine does not exist. It is not there. 
All of it has been eliminated because all rebellion against God and his kingdom has been removed. And so everything that God wants for you can come to pass. Think of that world. That's what Jesus says he's here to bring about. See, in the Bible, this kingdom of God isn't a place like we think of a kingdom. It's a realm of reality. It's a system of leadership. We've all experienced that. Some of you are experiencing this right now at your job, right? Being in a system of bad leadership. Everything has problems. People are at each other's throat. Everything's kind of falling apart all the time. There's always things going wrong. But take that same place, install a good system of leadership, uh, uh, an experienced, competent system of leadership, and everything changes, right? Th this is one of the reasons I'm so drawn to follow sports. Now, I don't follow them like all the time, but I think it's one of the reasons like people that like sports like it, because what we get to see is systems of leadership and teams working together. And, and it's, when it's right, it's, it's awesome to witness, what Jesus is saying is that underneath the brokenness of all the human systems of leadership is the brokenness of reality itself. And what Jesus is claiming is that he's going to bring the kingdom of God to bear on every inch of reality. Every inch of it, every part of it, your emotions, your thoughts, the realities of the world outside, creation itself. He's going to bring his kingdom to bear on every inch of it. And when that happens, every inch of reality will be transformed and made new, made right. And so Jesus' claim is that he is out to bring something way bigger, way more powerful than what we have ever imagined. And this kingdom starts as a revolution way down in the deepest parts of your heart. And from there, it spreads out to the rest of reality. That's the kingdom Jesus is bringing about. Now, the other part of this kingdom reality is that this kingdom doesn't happen immediately. Oh man, right? I want it to happen immediately, but it just doesn't. Which is why Jesus says that this kingdom is like what in this parable? It's like farming, right? The farmer doesn't put the seed in the ground and then harvest the same day. That's not how it works. This is part of the mystery and the paradox of the kingdom. It's already and it's not yet. Jesus keeps saying two things. The kingdom of God is here and the kingdom of God is coming. Well, wait a minute. Which one is it, Jesus? God's spirit is here. He has empowered you if you trust him. The seed is in the ground. And when the seed is in the ground, it's inevitable that the harvest will come. So if you trust in Jesus, you are already in the kingdom. You are new. You are changed. And the first change is that you now know that God loves you and he accepts you and he wants you because Jesus has paid the penalty for your sins by his blood on the cross. So you don't sit around wondering, am I good enough to get in the kingdom? Because you know the answer is I'm not, but Jesus has made me good enough to get in the kingdom by his blood. But that's not all. Now that the kingdom has come and the seed is in the ground, for those of us who are in the kingdom, we now have a confidence in knowing that transformation is not only possible, but listen to me, it's certain, right? He who began a good work in you is faithful. The seed that is planted will grow. It may not be immediate, but we no longer believe that things will never change. If you're a Christian, that's the furthest thing you could believe. Of course things will change. We believe in transformation. 
The power of the Holy Spirit is at work. And we no longer believe that anyone is beyond hope. The kingdom is here in us. The seed is in the ground. But at the same time, the harvest is not here yet. We live in this in-between time in which there's still a lot of the old kingdom of this world and this broken reality that's still at work. Our enemy is still at work. There's an enemy who will do his very best to confuse and pervert the good that's coming in Jesus' kingdom. We have to know that. There are even times when it can look like the kingdom of Jesus has been defeated, right? It looks like, God, what's going on? There are times when certain parts of the field look like they got nothing but weeds. But what Jesus is saying is that the kingdom of God isn't going to happen overnight like you and I want. There's going to be in this in-between time plenty of the old kingdom to go around. There's going to be pain. There's going to be sickness. There's going to be confusion. There's going to be perverted reality. But Jesus also says in this parable, don't worry though. The good seed is in the ground and the day of harvest is coming. It's inevitable. And here's the part of this message that we don't like to hear. The harvest is coming. And if you are opposed to the kingdom, you will be removed from it. If you're in the kingdom and the kingdom is in you, you'll be brought into the presence of God forever. But if you are opposed to the kingdom, if you are in rebellion against God, you will be removed from the kingdom. And that's, we don't like to hear that, but Jesus is clearly saying that. So, so how do we apply this as we go out from here? Just a few things to point out. The first, I think, is that being a Christian, following Jesus, following the Son of Man, means that we are both patient, but we are not passive. We are patient, but we are not passive. In the parable, we see that the farm workers are over, overly zealous to see the weeds pulled up, right? And Jesus makes it clear in his explanation why this is not a good idea. He's telling them and he's telling us the same thing and we need to hear this. You are not qualified to tell who is in the kingdom and who is not in the kingdom. That's not your job. You're not a harvester. Be patient. Let God and his kingdom do their work. Let the seeds come to full growth. And then the harvester who remembers not you will do the harvesting. So at the same time as we are not called to go and start pulling up weeds willy-nilly, that's not your job. It's not our job to go and start pulling up what we think are weeds and then accidentally pull up some wheat. And I have to tell you, that's, I've seen that happen in my own life and I've been part of that. We go and we think I'm gonna tell someone they're out of the kingdom and what we end up doing is pushing someone else who might've been in the kingdom away from Jesus. That's not our work. But we're also not called to just sit on our hands and do nothing. We're called to keep planting good seed. There's an implication in here. The farmer isn't the one going out planting the seeds if he's got farm workers. They're the ones doing the work, right? They come to him and ask him for more instructions. So we can imply that they're the ones who went out and planted the seeds he gave them to plant. So we're not qualified to harvest, but that doesn't mean we've got nothing to do. Each of us has been given a never-ending supply of wheat seeds, and the call of God for us is to be patient for the harvest while also we continually plant, plant the seeds of the kingdom everywhere we go. Plant those seeds. Our families, our neighborhoods, and our jobs, and our recreation, and our friendships be about the planting of the seeds of the kingdom. 
Now, the last thing I just want to touch on is probably, again, we, we talked about this a little, but it's kind of most uncomfortable part of this parallel, and that is this reality that there are many people who might think they are Christians, but in the end will discover that they are not. I mean, one of the scariest verses in the scriptures is Jesus says, many on that day will come to me and say, Lord, didn't we proclaim things in your name? And he says, I never knew you. Those are the weeds in this parable. They look just like the wheat. They might think they're in the kingdom, but they're not. It's uncomfortable. It's frankly kind of scary. And I wish we didn't have to talk about it, but it's here. And it's for us if it's in the scriptures. So there are in this parable sons of the kingdom and sons of the evil one. But the scary thing is that in this parable, it's not until the harvest that the difference is told. But, but here's good news. Hey, I, I got to tell you, the, we got to end with good news, right? Until the day of the harvest, everyone can become good seed. Right? Don't take this parable and make it a concrete system. It's a story. Until that final day of the harvest, you have an opportunity to become a son of the kingdom. How? Well, here's the most basic principle from the kingdom of heaven teachings of Jesus in terms of how to know if you are a son of the kingdom or not. Is Jesus your king? Is he your king? See, when you come to the realization that Jesus loves you so much that he died for you, Right? Don't gloss over that. He died for you. He shed his blood for you in order to make a way for you to enter his kingdom. When you trust in that and by faith alone come into the kingdom, you can't help but give him everything. He becomes your king and your desires, again, over time, begin to sound like this. Jesus, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Jesus, show me who you want me to serve, and I'll serve them. Jesus, show me what you want me to give, and I'll give it. How could I not? You're my king who died for me. That's the question I want to just leave us with today as we hear this parable of the kingdom of heaven. Is Jesus your king? Do your loyalties lie with Jesus preeminently above everything else? This is why the celebration of communion that we're going to take in just a little bit is so meaningful for us, right? Think about it. We've been invited to the table of the king. Is he your king? If he is, then we wait patiently for his kingdom to fully arrive while at the same time we work to sow the seeds of the kingdom. And if he's not, if he's not your king, then here's the question for you. Will you make him your king today? Will you simply turn from yourself being the king of your little kingdom and trust Jesus to be your king and thereby come into his kingdom that will have no end? There is no better day than today. Today is the day of salvation, the scriptures say. So come to Jesus today. Trust him to be your king. Come to him and say, Jesus, I don't want to be king of my life anymore you be my king. I trust you. I throw myself at your mercy because I know that you've loved me enough to sacrifice yourself on the cross for me. But not only that, you were raised from the dead to set me free from the ways of this kingdom so that I can look forward to the kingdom that's coming at your return. If that's you, I just want to tell you again and again and again, that offer is on the table and it's never going to be taken off the table until that final day. Let's pray.
Jesus, we thank you for these stories that you've given us. I pray that, that we would all have ears and we would hear your voice. That we would pay attention when you speak to us through your scriptures. Jesus, would you make us good farm workers who are just doing what you're telling us to do? Who don't worry about what everyone else is doing, but we just simply just follow you. Would you make us those kind of workers who are patient for the harvest day to come, but who are also not passive and doing nothing? That we have work to do. But Lord, help us to focus on the work that you've told us we're qualified to do, which is not the harvest, but it's the planting with you. We look forward to the day when you come to make all things new, and we ask that you would glorify yourself in our lives as we seek your kingdom first. We pray this in your name. Amen.